Hey guys, this is Anand Chimpy from Anantech. Uh, this is the Anantech Podcast, episode 12. Um, back joining us is Dr. Ian Cutris out of the UK. Hi guys. And we have Brian Klug, our senior smartphone editor. Hey everyone. Um, we have two major topics of discussion today, um, and I'm sure these two will spawn a whole bunch of other points, but um, there's been that leaked discussion about Broadwell, which is Intel's 2014, late 2014 microprocessor architecture. So today we have Ivy Bridge, which is the third generation core series. Uh, next year, you know, towards the middle of next year, we get Haswell, which will be the fourth generation um, core series. Uh, and then after that, uh, likely in the latter half of 2014, we'll get the, the fifth um, major core architecture, which will be uh, uh, Broadwell. So Broadwell will be a die shrink, a 14 nanometer version of Haswell. Uh, it'll actually introduce a whole bunch of cool stuff on the graphics side. So it'll be kind of like an Ivy Bridge in, you know, we won't see uh, a huge uptick in CPU performance, but, you know, big gains on the graphics side. Um, and obviously the move down to 14 nanometer is expected to... Um, just get power consumption in check once again, just kind of continue to lower things down. Uh, the news that came out was there was this, um, this PC watch article and then semi-accurate and a bunch of other folks picked it up and they said that, look, it looks like, you know, on Intel's roadmaps that Broadwell is going to be BGA only. So ball grid array package with the balls physically soldered down onto the motherboard. Um, that's how it's done in mobile. That's how it's done in a lot of the ultra small, small form factor devices. It's unusual for us to see that on desktop because, you know, for as long as we've been doing this, um, you've always had sockets that you can plug your CPU into, remove it. Um, it kind of enables CPU upgradability and, and you know, all of that jazz that's, that's made, a, it's been a big cornerstone of what makes building your own PC exciting. So with Broadwell, this rumor is that Hey, all that, all the LGA, the land grid array packaging goes away and you've just got BGA. So when you buy your motherboard, you got to chip solder down onto it. Um, so I want to start with that discussion first. Ian, I know you've been doing a lot of research into it. Um, what, what can you tell us of, of what you found that you're allowed to talk about? Um, I found that it's, it's going to be an interesting time, mainly from a build your own PC standpoint, because where before you had one motherboard that you could pair with any processor on the market you're going to have one motherboard that comes in six different SKUs based on what cpu is soldered to it so there's a chance here for motherboard manufacturers to restrict their higher motherboards to high-end processors and their low-end motherboards to low-end processors and tie that all in with um whatever integrated graphics are going down um well so let, let me let me start with this um I know my take on it. Do you believe that this rumor is accurate? I think it's a drastic change in the whole PC building space mentality. If anybody was going to do it, it was going to be Intel, but I've got a feeling that somebody internally has decided, let's make this shift for whatever reasons they have onto their own. Now, do you... Um, so, so, so you believe that this is accurate? I have no reason to not believe other than actual official verification, which we're not, if, if it was true, we're not going to get publicly for another 12 to 16 months, I guess. So the, um, when we were in Taiwan about six months ago, um, I had a, uh, an old friend from a motherboard manufacturer come up to me and say, Hey, look, you know, Intel has been talking about, uh, soldering chips on the motherboards. 
and that being the way that you get it. Now, the position this was presented to me as was this is a kind of long-term vision where you don't just get the CPU and the motherboard on you know one package, but you actually start talking about um, DRAM and even NAND soldered onto the whole thing. So you get kind of a uh, like a compute card and that's the long-term vision I see here. And the, the other thing that, that kind of, uh, I, I don't know if you remember a couple of years back, Intel was doing those software upgradable CPUs. They did a little yeah. trial of this where you would, you'd buy a chip. Um, and these were like, mostly, I want to say like core I three level, you know, dual core, fairly low end things. But if you, you, you buy this little like unlock code, uh, and you know, let's say your chip ran at 2.9 gigahertz and had a three meg L2 or, or L3 cache. You could type in this code and reboot your system, and it would all of a sudden make you have a 3.3 gigahertz chip with a four meg L3 cache. So basically, software unlocking of features that were already there on the CPU. Um, this was a trial. It didn't really, you know, everyone said this was a stupid idea, what have you. But a long time ago, back in the 32 nanometer and 45 nanometer generation. I remember having a conversation with someone um, at, at Intel and, you know, they were saying, look, we're getting really good at our yields here. Um, and we see a future where, you know, you might, and this is not an official Intel statement, like this is not, <laughs> this is just, you know, kind of sharing what, um, what I was privy to, which was, look, we see a future where we are so good at making these chips that... Yeah, maybe we do away with the forced mechanical build, uh, the forced mechanical binning, and you buy a chip, and through software unlocking, you can get higher clock speeds if you want, maybe additional cash. Um, so you know, you pay price X, you you pay your hundred fifty dollars up front. You later on decide that you want you know the faster SKU with hyper threading or with an extra you know twenty percent L three cash. You buy a little software unlock code, type it in, and and you know as long as the platform you started with is capable of being software upgraded to where you want to go, you know, you, you make it, it works. Uh, so I have a feeling that really ties into this whole BGA strategy. The, the information I have shows that Broadwell, um, when it arrives, yes, it is going to be very mobile focused. Um, you're not going to see a huge increase in CPU performance. Um, again, most of the focus is going to be on improving graphics performance. And with this move to 14 nanometer, that's really, really beneficial on the mobile side. Intel's going to direct the vast majority of its volume and its attention there. Um, and then for the subsequent part, so what comes after Broadwell, which is, I guess, Skylake? Is that it? Skylake or Skymont. Yeah, so I think it's it's one of the it's the Lake family that comes next. Um, so once you get to the Lake family, then you get LGA again. You get socketable CPUs, stuff like that. This is uh, now long term. You know, yeah, we do away with LGA all entirely, and and you know everything goes BGA. But uh, Broadwell is kind of a blip where the focus is entirely on mobile. You know, they they want to drive 14 nanometer there first. Um, but yeah, but I think. Sorry, go ahead. Well, it, it, it limits to those people who want to build their own systems, be able to choose the motherboard off the shelf, be able to choose the CPU. Um, it limits them to the extreme series of CPUs on the Intel side. Or it means that people will jump ship to AMD. Why does it limit them to the extreme series? I mean, if, if, if they want the whole upgradable experience of socketing a CPU, because if we take the Broadwell BGA... Um, the, if the CPU is going to be soldered on right when the motherboard is made, um, then the motherboard is going to be shipping with CPU coolers as well. It That's makes, what I was wondering, right. It, 
it, it, it wouldn't make sense to not ship it with a, with the standard Intel CPU cooler, even attached. Yeah. Pre-attached in the manufacturing. In the manufacturing. Um, but then if, if you do want the experience of build your own, then you're going to go extreme. So when you say extreme, you're talking um, like the Socket 2011 successors. Yeah, so we're talking about Iverbridge and Haswell E, whatever they will be. Yeah. Um, I think that makes sense. I, I think ultimately, though, what happens here is you have Haswell show up. That is the desktop enthusiast platform still socketed. Broadwell shows up and you kind of can't get it unless it's in, t- in a tablet or in a notebook. Um, and, you know, maybe there's some there are some desktop SKUs there, but you, you kind of skip um, you skip Broadwell if you're an enthusiast desktop PC builder and, and you go to the, the lakes afterwards. Well, um, this actually ties into some of the predictions that have been made um, online by uh, Digitimes and uh, iSupply. Yeah. Uh, having a look. Um, they're predicting a very slow uptake of Haswell. So we're talking 2113 H1 4% because that's when it will probably be released and uh, 20% in the second half of 2013. That's going to be socket 1150. But speaking to some motherboard manufacturers, they've been told to keep supplies of socket 1155, the Sandy Bridge and the Ivy Bridge motherboards all the way through till the end of 2014, possibly 2015. Yeah, so I, I think, you know, Intel's in, we, we've, we've talked about this before, right? Intel's in kind of a tough position where it has to, um, it, it doesn't presently have a good solution to the ARM problem, right? And, and we've already seen Cortex-A15 um, does very well. It finally beats Atom. Um, and and it doesn't really have a a good solution for you know what goes into tablets yet. Now it's possible that maybe Atom takes care of that and you know it's all done. But but I think do, the sorry do, go ahead. Do, next do gen we, Atom. Do do we know the release for next gen Atom? It's supposed to be late next year. Um, right. So and that's still a lot of exposure in terms of um, you know because we've already seen the first Cortex A15 designs out right now. Um, Tiger Four is going to be Cortex A15. Um, pretty much everything that launches next year will be A15 class. And Brian, I know you got a lot of information about what Qualcomm's doing, and I want to get to that um, right, after right. this discussion. But uh, so, you but, you've but, got but, this. I'm I'm curious. So when you when you're talking about motherboard manufacturers shipping these boards with the with BGA Broadwell CPUs on them, is or is that really tenable? Are they going to be able to do that with one CPU and then unlock all these different tiers? I mean, are well, there are there well, yields? Is the bin really? gone that if, much if, if you think with the standard ivy bridge SKUs, they actually only have two or three processor designs right. or two or four or five if you include the variations of the gpu they cut them out of the silicon and then they bin them so if you essentially do that and you find out that a lot of people need the are requesting the slower speed parts you still you know fix them to be the slower speed even though they'll do the higher speed and you'll buy it in the box to say can be upgraded to 3.4 gigahertz or whatever. You know, buy, buy this code, go to this website and buy a code. So it's com- it's completely tenable based on, you know, processor design out the battery. Well, so the other thing I would say is you could, I don't think you do away with binning altogether. I, I think there are a couple of um, uh, competing factors here, right? For one, we no longer have anyone pushing the envelope or forcing Intel's hand at the high end. So 
from a binning standpoint, yeah, if you had AMD going head-to-head with Intel every single SKU, every single time where you had both of them you know, competing for that high end, that might be difficult to meet. We no longer have that, right? As long as Intel can deliver you know, 5 to 20% each year, everyone's happy. So you can do that without actually like really pushing the envelope in terms of frequency. Um, so you end up with a situation where you might only need to have, let's say, three bins, and the motherboard manufacturer is given, look, this, uh, you know, these CPUs, they're going to go as fast as possible, solder them onto your high-end boards. Um, these ones are going to be more of your mainstream, you know, solder them onto your mid-range right. boards and, and so on and so forth. So, so, so the issue on the motherboard manufacturers is they're currently playing around with their own BIOSes and upping the multiplier by default on some of the high-end boards that I'm tested. So you get, so when you um, put a full load onto the CPU, it activates the maximum turbo bin rather than the staggered Intel default bins. So if you come, if you get attached with a CPU and Intel says unlock, the, you know, pay $50, get this unlock code, but the motherboard manufacturer says, well, press the button X as you boot into the system and we'll give you the same boost in performance. I mean, I would assume that they would... Um, Intel would, I'm sure, just love that. <laughs> well, so it depends on... on I'm sure how, they wouldn't get angry at all. It, it depends on what Intel's doing, right? So in the previous, in the, in the trial of the, the software unlockable stuff, they would actually also unlock cache, which is something that thus far, at least on the Intel CPUs, um, the, the motherboard makers haven't been able to do via BIOS hacks. Um, and like you know, Intel loves to do the hyper-threading thing. Exactly right? right. Like that's since if if we can count AMD out, then yeah, Intel can do a bunch of silly stuff like uh, uh, you know, hey, buy this code if you want to unlock AESNI acceleration or but, but right like but but, but, oh, but great it, 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 <laughs> don't give it, them ideas. <laughs> don't give them it, ideas. It, it it amazes me that if Intel can supply you with a code that you could put into a program to unlock cache and essentially improve CPU speed. It amazes me that if Intel can do that, then the, uh, but the motherboard manufacturers can't. Because essentially, the, it has to go through the motherboard, the BIOS code. Yeah, yeah but remember, so... the motherboard manufacturer is now the customer of Intel. So we don't, we don't, the direct customer. So we don't, if we're the motherboard manufacturer, all of a sudden we're worried about, do we really want to piss off who we're <laughs> buying? You know? Well, I mean, that's, that's also a lot of this, like, D, you know, on-chip DRM stuff that, that we've had for a while now. Um, all of that comes into play here. Right, right. Um, I think it's, I think it's, <clears throat> I, I, you really think it's that after they do this, that LGA will come back? Yeah, I think, I think Broadwell is a lot like, um, and, and actually, I mean, because what... obviously this is part of the whole, you know, it's going to become an SOC. Yes. Just end of story. I'm sorry. It's, it's, that's the way things well, are going. Well, as, as Haswell comes in and then Broadwell comes in, if it, if, you know, Broadwell becomes, you know, the fully BGA part, then it's going to encroach severely on atom space. Yeah, I don't cut it. I don't know, and that's a separate discussion, we'll right? What, we'll what happens? <laughs> yeah, I don't know what happens, you know, with Core and Atom if there is, because I remember when I was talking to AMD about Jaguar, um, and I was talking about design decisions that they'd made there and why they made them, and they said, you know, look, a lot of the reasons that the design decisions are what they are, um, you know, it's a still a too wide, out of order part, and it has to go up against, you know, something that's 
a Cortex A15 class. And this, you know, powers a concern. But the other concern is we can't make it too good because it needs to be slower than the high-end stuff. And I, I remember hearing that and thinking, okay, this is bad, right? You never want to artificially segment your architectures um, because you need there to be that artificial gap. And and so I don't know long-term if there is room for like an atom line and a core line, or if those two just have to converge, because otherwise you end up forcing atom um, to, to, to be a little more. Oh no, they than... absolutely have to converge. Yeah. Well, it's, um, what architectures atom the new atom being based off didn't you say it was based on an old pentium architecture or is it being rebuilt from the ground up um so we don't know much about it right if you look at where the original atom came from the original atom was uh like a p6 hybrid right it was it was a uh like uh, sorry part pentium part you know a whole bunch of other new stuff um, so you could assume that the, the next atom would look much more like a P6, um, right? That generation of, of core, but, you know, with, with design today versus designed, uh, back yeah. in the P6 days. Um, no, but I want to go back to Brian's question. You know, do I think Broadwell is, is a blip and do we get LGA back? I, I do think so. I think Broadwell, um, and, and Charlie over at Semi-Accurate, he, he mentioned the same thing. And this actually, uh, coincides with information I heard originally, um, which is that, hey, this is the inevitable future. We all go BGA, but that, that future is not 2014. Um, I think Broadwell ends up being uh, kind of like Westmere was on the desktop, right? Where if you look at Westmere, there were server parts that came out and there were kind of a whole bunch of mobile parts that came out and there were some dual core desktop parts that no one really cared about, but anyone in the performance desktop space still had Linfield, which was its predecessor, and they never got an update, right? They just had to skip, they had to skip Westmere and wait till Sandy Bridge, and I think that's what Broadwell is here. Um, and Wasn't if you there look, Golf Town, though? Golf Town is the Westmere EP thing. Yeah, but Golf Town came out late, right? Remember, Golf oh, Town okay. came out like... Right. Yeah, you know, they might do that. Um, and, and Gulf Town was just the Xeon brought over to the desktop. So it's, it's fairly, um, I, I would but, say it's totally possible that the Broadwell Xeon comes into a socketed desktop. Um, but, 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 but the, interesting. The, the, the issue with that is when Westmere came out, people were still happy with the performance and there was still a lot of product that could continue over until we were waiting for Sandy Bridge. In terms of Broadwell... If 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 we if we predict that Haswell's going to come out, you know, sometime late H one next year, Broadwell, judging by the fact that Broadwell's DDR four and predictions from iSupply on DDR four numbers pinpoints it towards late twenty fourteen, possibly twenty fifteen, that's a year and a half after Haswell before Broadwell um, comes out. So so keep in mind, um, late late first half next year for Haswell is Haswell Mobile. Right. Right. So the indications that I've heard is that you're looking at Q3 for the first Haswell desktops, Q4 for like okay volume Haswell desktops. Right. So it's it's ends up being this whole like has you know obviously their goal with Haswell is getting into notebooks and tablets. It's it's going to be a staggered hope probably a staggered release like Trinity was. Yes. I I, I would assume so. Um so and so that emphasis is again all just mobile. Yes. Yeah, I mean, it's and, 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 and PC builders just keep shipping Haswell, or just it, keep going to Haswell. 
yeah, it, it still brings me back to the point, if, even if you're still waiting sort of 12, 14 months for a desktop Broadwell, and then you've got to wait another 12, 14 months for the next gen, that leaves essentially from releasing Haswell to releasing another LGA part, you've got a big two-year gap, which if if you want to build the latest PC, you either think, well, do do do, do you go with the BGA part? Do you stick with the Haswell LGA part or do you go AMD? Personally, I think going BGA really brings AMD as a desktop system, you know, as a processor part back into the game. So the timing on that would work. Um, I remember hearing internal internally with, within AMD, 2014 is the kind of, uh, if AMD continues to work on and pursue its big, beefy, high-end microprocessor architectures, which at this point, I don't, I don't know. I haven't had to talk with them in a while. Um, but let's assume businesses as usual there. 2014 is, is when they hope to, to kind of have, um, you know, for them to have a, be having a different conversation about single-threaded performance um, than the one that we've been having for the past few years here. Uh, so there's, there's definitely potential there. Um, but Brian, you and I were talking about this actually, right? Like we, we lament the loss of LGA cause it's, you know, it's nice. The flexibility is nice. Um, in pursuit right. of ultra mobile, we've, we've always given up flexibility, which, which sucks. I, I hate that that's the case. Um, if AMD goes away, if, if they are no longer like a, a major threat here, the ARM platforms have never been socketed, right? If Intel's, if the new AMD is ARM and, ARM doesn't. ARM has already gone down this. You know, you buy a motherboard and it comes with a chip on it. Route. Uh, Intel has absolutely no motivation to, you know, keep LGA around. I think that's the just expectation of this new mobile derived world that we're living in. You know, and so far as even even on Intel's side, Ian, you were saying, and and I agree. Obviously, the fusion parts come that way. Atom comes that way, right? If you go buy an Atom thing, it comes with the motherboard. Yeah, but um, so, with, with the fusion parts, you had a choice between three or four processors. This mm-hmm. this is this is what brings back to you know the mother the motherboard manufacturers segmenting the high end boards for the high Broadwell processors and the low end motherboards for the, the low end Broadwell processors. So you essentially you buy a system with the motherboard that you buy, with however much right. you want to spend. I mean, in a mobile, just all these mobile-focused parts just come this way because you need that integration, and you know, for whatever reason, it helps you get. I think the main driver is probably Z Z height to yes. some extent, and you know, obviously in a smartphone, that's really really important. So then they just make a package that's that way, and that gets carried over. And whether it gets used in some place that Z height doesn't matter, is just sort of you know, like who cares? We that that wasn't our main consideration. It's, it's as uh, i'm i'm not i'm not a computer scientist is there actually any other benefit to doing bga over lga um i mean i would assume that you can uh could could, could you get fit, fit more pins so yeah. i don't necessarily know about the pin count but i know it's a it's a better connection right like when you um whenever you have to like make a mechanical connection versus something that's kind of soldered on by default i would assume that that's a superior connection um from a liability standpoint um, but I, I don't think that's where what's motivating all of this, right? I think, um, I think on the server side, so so let's Broadwell. I think is is a blip, right? To me, I, I view Broadwell as again that thirty two nanometer transition all over again. Um, you need to target it at mobile. That's what gets all the attention, um, and then you know desktop and the higher perf- uh, the the higher power 
envelope parts. They just, they have to wait. Um, you know, you got to prioritize things and, and that's just how it works. Long-term, what happens, one thing that doesn't worry me too much is if we start buying CPUs the way we do graphics cards, right? Where it's a module that we socket into something else um, or that we slot into something else. Because I look at it from the server standpoint and BGA doesn't make any sense there. But the idea of a CPU card isn't all that unusual there. Um, Interesting. No, right? I, I, like it's, I, I, I've come across CPU cards, yeah. So, so, so to me... Or 16 in at once. <laughs> right, because like, what do you do, you know, Intel, jeez, um, uh, almost, almost 10 years ago, less than 10 years ago, probably seven years ago, was talking about, uh, you know, we're going to do 3D stacking of our dies, right, through silicon vias and all that stuff. And, and you look at that stack, and initially it's, yeah, you just have logic stacked with, um, you know, really high bandwidth DRAM. But if you look at the, the big stack and what they're talking about doing in the future, it's multiple layers of DRAM, NAND, every, I mean, like it's a true SOC. It is a complete system on a chip with storage, with DRAM, everything on there. And it, that, that's no longer the type of thing that you're just going to kind of plug and unplug, right? That is now a... a <laughs> right? Like it, it's right. A, the, well, the, the minute you start scack, stacking on the scale of a desktop part, you, cooling's going to be the big issue. Yeah, and the cooling thing, no one has ever given me a good answer to other than in mobile, right? Like in mobile, they're like, oh, don't worry, we figured this out. Um, and I remember asking... Uh, Except guess, for when we haven't. Yeah. <laughs> but but like, you know, there they're talking about like one, two watts. Like that, I think I can at least... That, that's somewhat believable to me. Um, but I don't... I still don't understand how we're going to do it at the, you know, 50-watt scale, much less the 100-watt scale. Um well, you can bring heat out the bottom with BGA to some extent. Yeah. But, um, I've also seen talk of having uh, sort of um, heat pipes actually built into the CPU. Yeah, like MEMS heat pipes. That was a, that yeah. was a, big, um, that was a big discussion topic way back when. So everybody who wants to do their, let's upgrade the CPU with Broadwell will just need a reflow station is what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, it, it, it is like, it's going to get really weird, man. Like, so one thing, um, uh, I think Brian... I feel better about this now that, that I, you know, because BGA isn't, we had BGA before, you know, like mobile Celeron was BGA. There are other BGA parts. If this is just designed to be mobile, then I, you know, I get that. My 386 was BGA, right? <laughs> I didn't have a socketed 386, I don't think. Right, right. Um... But yeah, I mean, I view it as, because Brian, you and I were talking about this yesterday. When we get to 14 nanometer, when we get to 10 nanometer, you're talking about billions of transistors on these chips just for graphics, okay? And you're going to have some big IA cores and stuff like that. But there's a good chance, even from Intel, the bulk of that chip is going to look like a GPU. And we don't buy socketed GPUs, right? We buy a GPU with a bunch of memory on a card. And what is Skylake and Skymont going to look like? You know, they're going to be a whole bunch of GPU transistors, some CPU transistors with memory stacked on them. Maybe it's just a basic CPU, a large integrated GPU, and you buy a Knight's Corner, you buy a Xeon Fi, and that does all your compute for you. Yeah, I mean, I think we, we have to, like, again, this is not something the, the desktop PC come 2014, 2015 is going to look just like the desktop PC today. But the desktop PC come 2020? I think that's much more of a you got a bunch of cards plugging into something, 
right? You have a bunch of modules that you're you're swapping in and out. Um, you, you want more performance? You put in another card. You go, yes. you go, you go crossfire on your on your Xeon fires. <laughs> no, there was that whole when when Larrabee was a thing, right? There was this whole idea that what you would have is you'd have your CPU and you'd have Larrabee, and since they would all run x86, um, Windows 9 or Windows 10 will schedule light tasks on a couple of the Larrabee cores, right? Because they're all Pentium derived x86 cores and then when you want to go ahead and do something you you know shift them over to the big ia cores um obviously that didn't happen larabee you know is 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 that like an optimus switch yeah it it was kind of like that that was one of the ideas at least that was presented to me and that was um uh obviously long-term future kind of the way they're they're viewing things going um and i don't necessarily know that that vision isn't dead but that was a uh that was a big push early on so the, the 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 minute you move to that type of system, um, where you've got you know your small CPU core, it means that you could have a reduction in motherboard size as well. ATX will no longer become a standard. Even even with BGA, I've got a slight inkling that because it now becomes you know fixed. Yeah, no, no. I think I think ATX goes away entirely, right? Like it doesn't make sense if you were going to treat the CPU and hey, maybe even have memory soldered on there, right? And if you want more memory, you have memory cards or whatever. Um, I think it's a smaller package that slots into something else. I think your motherboard ends up being just like a big I/O interface plane, and then you plug in whatever you need to plug into it. So it's it's no longer a motherboard with daughter boards. It's just a board with boards. It's the <laughs> SOC board. Yeah, you, board. you essentially get a cube of boards. I, that's See, what I mean, like I me. agree that we buy GPUs that way, but at the same time, that my GPU sockets into something else. Yes, you know, and that's that's the scary part. Like I just know that's the scary part for for people. But see, your CPU would then socket into something else, right? Like it's, it's just if the, they went that way, right? But I mean, I think they want to get rid of the. I think they envision this like it's just on the motherboard. You buy a motherboard with it, that's it. I, I think that's probably how it starts. But I think if you want to like if you want to take that out to, you know, T equals infinity, right? What what happens? That the motherboard we have today doesn't make a whole lot of sense at that point. Um, you know, it's we've got a whole bunch of IO on there that, hey, maybe most people don't even use. And maybe we have different types of IO needs. Um But it's, I, um it's from a motherboard manufacturer standpoint. A lot, most of the motherboard manufacturers they'll make six or seven models to cater for everybody. There's one or two that will listen to the individual needs of somebody in a particular sales region. Take um, in China, the LAN, the LAN sort of computer cafe shop. They want motherboards with one HD output, so they'll speak to a manufacturer that will take off all the rest of the video output, so they don't have to pay for them. That's like a fact that a lot of I.O. is on motherboards just because people want future adaptation. This is why Thunderboard is on a lot of motherboards now, despite there being no Thunderbolt, almost no Thunderbolt devices on the market. Yeah. Well, so, that's another story, right? Especially <laughs> on, the window, on the Windows side. Yeah. <laughs> I've been ranting about this a lot because um, there's this... Uh, you know, we've Apple's been shipping Thunderbolt on platforms for a very long time now, and now even on like the flagship Surface Pro from Microsoft, there's no Thunderbolt, and 
I like it's it's just seems like a horrible mess of and I get that like you know deploying hot plug PCIe where you can plug in a GPU or whatever um, that's that's kind of a problem now on Windows. Um, it's not a problem on OS X because there's just no GPU drivers for most GPUs that you'd stick in there. Um, but it's still it's horribly mismanaged. Like that is a that was a spec that I thought had a lot of great potential. Um, and it's if 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 Intel just kind of sitting. Drive want to drive the thunderbolt development on windows they could could add it to the chipset yeah no it would be great right the problem with the chipset business at intel is um that's a business that seriously just prints money right like they they show up once a year they as long as their product doesn't do something horribly wrong they know they're going to make money on it like like, like p67 and b2 b3 yes that's bad they don't want that We don't want to execute outside of what we did last year, guys. Yeah, I mean, that's what it is, right? Like, you want to... um, It is very hard to make the management case or the management argument of why you should ever change the chipset, right? And especially why you should ever integrate something that's going to balloon die area there. Um, Totally, totally. Over the next few Intel chipsets, there's going to be some pretty interesting stuff that's coming out. I don't think I can talk about any of it, but... It's going to be good. I, yeah. You know, I don't like hearing that there's no Thunderbolt anything, because when I go shopping for stuff, I see a lot of Thunderbolt stuff. Where do you like, shop, I think man? that's... I, well, <laughs> I see I, nothing. Like, online, there's... I mean, just yesterday, there's the Blackmagic Thunderbolt thing. I mean, I have a Thunderbolt hard drive. There is a, there's a lot of Thunderbolt stuff out there, but the thing is, if you don't have... Most PCs don't have the port, period, right? So, like, I, I don't think there's this... Um, I think well, you on, go- on the Windows side, yeah, Thunderbolt is non-existent. Like it's just there, and then I mean, we know all the details about what that situation is. Yeah, but on the Mac side, I think it's unfair to say that there's no Thunderbolt anything. Like that's just not true. Yeah, you, you can. Know? I actually, I just got in another Thunderbolt device. Like Promise has been executing like crazy over there. Um, there's, they've got. I mean, right now it's predominantly storage. You know, if you can get a billion and one different flavors of Thunderbolt storage. Um, and there are, like you mentioned, the, ba- the Blackmagic um, Thunderbolt box. That's, you know, for HDMI capture, um, which is kind of a, a neat implementation of Thunderbolt. Um, there are devices out there. The problem is, <clears throat> you know, they're pricing, expensive. Yeah. They, are, they are expensive. Pricing for the chip on Intel side is, is high. And if you don't have Microsoft supporting it um, like Apple has, yeah, it's, it's not going to go anywhere for a really long time. Do you see that? Do you see that other thing that I sent you? The Thunderbolt like external enclosure that will do half half length PCIe. Yes, I did. I actually I have one of those from OWC here now. Um, I just I haven't got around to it yet. It's it's I mean stuff like that is cool. Yeah, it's kind of like that. Um, the problem is again, uh, on the Mac side, I, I and I've been wanting to try this like stick in a card with you know known drivers for it and see what happens and then you know flash the EFI on the card itself. Um, but it should work. It should um, on the Windows side. As long side, as you have the kex for it, exactly. Um, on the Windows side, I know that's the that is the usage model that Microsoft is particularly worried about. Right, you're in the middle of a game and someone hot plugs the GPU. What happens? <laughs> Um, there should be an arm that comes out of your PC and slaps whoever decided to <laughs> unplug the. Ch- I mean, right? <laughs> what? 
who's gonna do i mean like okay i understand maybe somebody trips over the cable yeah but there's um, no how are you going to engineer around that i don't what i mean i think they they're trying to do like a lot of um driver work to kind of properly deal with it um i don't know i to me being someone who's used thunderbolt like it clearly works as is i think if microsoft just you know, even if they said, hey, look, we're not supporting GPUs on Thunderbolt right now, I, I think that's a, a totally fine thing to do. Um, but, like, promote it because it's a, I think it's a big part of bridging the gap between mobile and, you know, the desktop usage model. But what, one thing that would drive um, Thunderbolt more into the desktop space is if uh, 4K monitors start to become the norm. Because um, I know the one company's been spouted been uh, advertising that their dual thunderbolt motherboards are capable of driving a 4k display by themselves yeah but that's a display port that's thing, just right? display port yeah yeah but uh, ha- ha- i mean the current the current um integrated graphics market you get a choice of uh, three digital outputs and one um analog output and most people decide well let's have a range of everything or let's have a couple of hdmi and then a dvi combination port that is that does bring up an interesting point i was thinking about this the other day because you know the new imax came out and um one of the major complaints i saw online is that hey look it's not it's not retina retina yet um and i feel like that is definitely coming um at least under the you know the old steve era um i i i would believe that a you know, let's say a 4K 27-inch panel was was definitely in the works. Um, I, I would love to see something like that hit. So, so is it 2560 by 1440 at present? It is. So what I'm guessing is they would do like a, a, a doubling of 19, um, 19 by, or 1080p or 19 by 12. Yeah. Right? Because yeah. like if you, you otherwise you double end up, 2560. Yeah, it would be a 5K by something else. Well, and, and on the on the Mac side, they've shown that they kind of they don't need necessarily a two x scale. You know, they do the two x scale from the lower res and then get up. Correct. Um, but even that, like, I would be happy with a you know thirty eight forty by whatever um, panel. Hmm. I just I don't ever want to buy an iMac. <laughs> no, I want, but I want not the that. external. I want the external uh, Apple Cinema display to be. 4k or high dpi well so that's what it would be right like so they obviously like the thunderbolt display today they kind of reuse well not anymore but they used to reuse the panel between that and the imac um right i would assume that they would do the same thing here because like the the world can't we can't just all go mobile and then give up big displays like that's not (laughs) like that i don't think that's the future that anyone's envisioning we need or multiple displays yeah exactly I, I hear I Windows 8 multi-display is a huge mess. Like in the Windows 8 experience, the uh, inside the new UI or Metro UI or whatever we're not allowed to call it, you're, <laughs> you can't have two IE windows on each monitor. And I run a two-head system, so I've just been putting it off. So I, I was talking to Chris, our, our um, senior displays editor, about this. Um, I thought what you could do is you could fire up uh, modern UI IE on one panel, go to the next panel, right, which will be a normal desktop, but bring up the charms bar over there and hit start. And wouldn't that bring up the start screen on the second? I mean, I haven't tried oh, Windows 8 in, in multiple panels yet, so. I, I don't even know, but I just, I know that this is, 
this is not you know they're like oh tablets don't have multiple displays we don't need to worry <laughs> about this just go back to the desktop but but microsoft did do a big post on like hey we're taking multi-display seriously um this is all the stuff that we did for multi-display in windows 8 um but in that post they never showed me two modern apps running at the same right. time um, hence hence my hence my statement and <laughs> and uh I, I don't know that's another topic i'm sorry i don't no, want no, to sidetrack i think it's valid um ian is there anything else we want to talk about on the bga side here um i just want to reiterate that amd is going to get back in the game i think so you're putting I, your chips on amd uh, i'm saying if there's an ideal opportunity for AMD to come back from its recent woes, they've got to have something in the pipeline to strike while the roadmap is hot. And, and I would agree with that. I think if the big if here is they've lost a lot of people, um, both through you know just forced layoffs and through companies like Samsung and Qualcomm just picking them. Um, so the big if is if these folks... You know, if AMD still has enough internal R&D to continue and execute well and, and actually deliver a competitive x86 solution by 2014, um, then I agree with you. I think they have, uh, uh, this is a wonderful opportunity for them. Well, it has to be faster than Haswell, though, because remember, Intel thinks it can just keep shipping Haswell yes. for the desktop people is what, what I got out of this discussion. Yeah. Well, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, well, I mean, I can't get another like if by 2014 AMD is still shipping like, hey, we're like we're kind of competitive. <laughs> like, no, <Yeah>. that's, that's <laughs> that can't it's, happen anymore. It's, it's, uh, one of the things that came out of uh, s- some of me talking to motherboard manufacturers regarding, you know, the slow adoption of Haswell in the desktop space and consequences of that is um, the fact that if if that does happen, then motherboard sales won't be driven and the smaller motherboard manufacturers may start to disappear off the map or consolidate yeah i think consolidation because ideally intel want four or five vendors buying their chipsets each with a market share of 20 percent you've got asus and gigabyte which combined have about 50 percent and the rest are struggling with uh, sub 10 percent numbers yeah, I think that's fair. I, I think most markets tend to consolidate into, let's say, two to four players. Um, and and, and there, there has been recent rumors regarding um, ASRock and their position, but we've yeah. not heard anything about that. The only thing that worries me is um, what I don't want to see is like all of a sudden we have to have, you know, let's say you want the, uh, the equivalent of what the i7 is today, right? You want a good high end uh, desktop. I, I don't want to see the motherboard makers, you know, say, okay, well, you have to buy the equivalent of like a $400 motherboard with that CPU soldered on it in order to get that. Like, I think that would be, that's, that is the one part of this future that I don't want to see happen. Right. Yeah. You want to be able to take the high, you still want to take the highest CPU you can and stick it in the lowest end motherboard if you, that's your usage scenario. Not even that. I mean, I think, you know, at least personally, my recommendations have always been you spend around 200 to $300 on your CPU, two to $300 on your GPU. And, you know, let's say 150 to 225 on your motherboard. Right. I want to be able to continue with that mix. I don't want to have to all of a sudden say, well, I'm going to have to spend two to 300 on my CPU and $400 on my motherboard <laughs> in order to get that, uh, the combination that I want. 
Well, unfortunately, if that if if that's how you feel, then you might have to look at AMD. <laughs> Dude, that's, that'd be it, it, terrible. Well, that, that that that's that's what you got. I mean, I don't mind looking at AMD. If AMD is like, uh, I mean, that's that's around K6 time. I was a big AMD supporter around K7. Um, these were like the recommended platforms, the things I build for myself. Um, it's it's just recently with all the core stuff that AMD hasn't been as competitive there. Um, if AMD fixes all of these issues, I, I don't have a problem with that. I, I think that's totally fine. Um, and and if they have competitive architecture by then, that's that's awesome. That's exactly what I want. Um, so the, the the issue is now. Um, on my test bed, I have set up a uh, dual core Ivy and um, the high end A10 Trinity part. They essentially trade trade each other based on whatever benchmark you run. One will be slightly better than the other, except in single thread performance, where despite the higher clock of the Trinity part, the uh, the pile driver part, uh, the Intel part is still another 20 to 30 percent faster despite higher speed on the trinity part that's what they have to get right yeah and and that's why i said 2014 is the magic number for them there too right because they there's only so much you can do with the existing architectures everything that's already in the pipeline um that's and this is a problem actually from from ultra mobile socs all the way up to what we have in the high-end desktop you cannot de-emphasize single threaded performance Right. Like I remember, Brian, you and I had this argument with NVIDIA like time and time again, <laughs> but it's like you, you can't just ignore it. Like single third performance is such a right. big deal and it's going to continue to be a big deal. I know um, what we're talking about there. <laughs> <laughs> um, sorry, go ahead, Ian. Yeah, it's it's, it's all about architect's choices. Always. If you're going to if you're going to start with an idea and you can't build on it, it's you either try and plug at it and accept that there may be losses or ditch it and choose something else yeah and i mean i remember um when ronak over at intel when he introduced haswell he said uh look we continued each generation the mandate is single thread performance has to improve and we never get a i mean you know a few times sandy bridge was a big deal you know the first uh conroe was a very big deal in this department but we usually don't get dramatic improvements in single thread performance but we do get is incremental improvements year over year every single year which when you look at a seven-year period well yeah it looks pretty freaking cool um you know things improve quite decently uh and we really need the same kind of thinking over at amd what um and unfortunately, the situation they're in, they, they need that kind of dramatic increase in single thread performance, and, and then they need to implement this this sort of uh, incremental strategy after that. Uh, I do realize that if I'd have written what I said on a forum, I might come across as a bit of a fanboy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. My, my family all have AMD-built systems apart from my brother. Um, I just like performance, and it's a bit one-sided right now. I really want yeah. AMD to do well when they can in the next couple of years if bga is what intel is going to do yeah i mean i i'm from a competitive standpoint like i i want competition in the market um i like amd uh, i think they've the fact that they were able to compete with intel for so long and really keep intel in check for a really long time i mean if you look at everything that's happened with core we have AMD to thank for that, right? Like Intel had a completely different strategy that it was working on, and, and AMD put a, uh, a lot of pressure on Intel to kind of change that. Um, from, from a competitive standpoint, I believe ARM is doing a wonderful job today putting 
pricing pressure on Intel, which is what AMD used to do, and putting power pressure on Intel, um, which AMD never really did, but it's, it's good that we still have that. I would be in a, uh, a much more panicked state if ARM wasn't around today. Well, did AMD get forced out by ARM? Is that the tacit question? I don't think so. I mean, I think ARM is putting pressure on Intel in a space that AMD doesn't exist in yet. Um, I think ARM's presence there makes it even more difficult for AMD to get into that space because uh, we already see how difficult True. it is for, for Intel to get into that space. Um, for, ARM, for AMD to do it would be um, very, very difficult, uh, short of becoming you know, an ARM supplier, which obviously they're toying with right now. I don't know. The future um, is interesting. It is interesting. It's like <laughs> we I, will have things to talk about. <laughs> I kind of want to fast forward. I don't like this intermediate period where we don't know what's going to happen. Um, you, you guys got CES to look forward to. Well, CES never tells us anything about the future, right? Oh, no, That's oh, no, what uh, I was going to say. It's always <laughs> just like a lot of show, and then, well, you know, I like CES. I don't want to sound so negative. Wow, but yeah, <laughs> you're totally right. You can enjoy those 20-minute line waits for taxis. 20 minutes would be awesome. Are you kidding me? Like, <laughs> I don't know. I've never been. This, this yeah, what lines are you in? <laughs> it's like, it's depending like on the time. Minutes. Yeah, if you try and get, you know, if you're at the, the, the show floor and you try to get in a cab, you know, around 5 p.m., that's a two-hour wait. Wow. Um, Unless you, like, hack the line or, yes. you know, like, go to an adjacent hotel. In which case, you just wasted half-hour walking. Yep. And, um... Go out, I don't have know. Some Can we say you put yourself. us at an awesome hotel this time? Yes. No, we're... we're yes. I, I don't know if we should say where it is. I don't want people yeah, showing up. Yeah, but it's off. awesome. <laughs> I don't want, I want to get shivved. <laughs> it's... You know, I have a friend who's in Las Vegas. At the right. <laughs> oh, no, I wish, right? <laughs> I have a friend who's in Las Vegas right now, and he's been texting me endlessly, talking about how awful Verizon is there. Oh, that's like not I, good. I got, I've swayed him to my side of the like paying hyper attention to cellular stuff. <laughs> and he's like, I want to leave. Like, I just want to, I want to get out of here. That that does not. And I'm like, well. this is exactly how I feel every time I'm in Las Vegas, <laughs> except it's even worse. Like, it's terrible to begin with when there isn't a trade show going on. Yes. And when there's a trade show going on, it's just, it's that much worse. Nothing works. Like, you just can't communicate. So that's the real irony is that you're, you're there talking about, like, oh, all these connected devices. Like, oh, you know, well, I love this, like, tablet or, you know, like, people are showing off their whatever. And it's like, yeah, I can't even make a call or, like, text, like, somebody that I'm going to be late. Yeah, I don't even understand if, if I were on uh, kind of a, a PR team. And, you know, we were giving like, you know, NVIDIA has a big keynote, Intel has a big keynote, and they want to do a live demo. I would just never allow that, right? I'm like, you can't. I, I'm always shocked that they actually sit there and, and you know, do network-connected things on stage right. in well, Vegas. They need, they need to do the, the Ethernet thing, you know, where, like, uh, this has been done several times where you just use USB on the go and do Ethernet. Yes. And then, like, say, hey, you know... The spectrum is so crowded in this room, <clears throat> nothing is going to get done. <laughs> so we're, we're wired it up, we're corded up to Ethernet, you know? Like, this has happened several times. Do you remember there was one where, like, NVIDIA was telling everybody to turn off their hotspots? Which never happens. Like, you cannot, no. I mean, 
it's with a lot of journalists like readers can't even tell them to do stuff so they're definitely not going to listen to a manufacturer so it's all right <laughs> it just they're, becomes they're, a belligerent thing yeah they're, they're, they'll just put a video of you playing dirt three and then you with the wheel oh no wait that was <laughs> um that was intel wasn't it that was that was bad that was <laughs> that, so, it was unnecessary that they did that um and then we ended up spending far too much time like just proving that yes ivy bridge could run dirt three that was a pain. Um, Brian, you just got back from San Diego, right? Yeah, that's right. So I went out there for their combination of like blogger event and um, industry analyst day. And we just sort of went over, you know, both the previous year's stuff and a little bit of what's coming up in the future. Um, I wouldn't say that there's a lot of stuff that we don't necessarily know about, but I saw some cool things. And at the same time, um, this is their single largest RF disclosure that they've made ever. And I've been working on so- some of these slides I saw like a, almost a month ago. I think it was November 6th or so that week. And so I saw them again. And that sort of lit the fire under me to finish all that stuff. But yeah, it was a great visit. I don't know if you want to talk about something specific. We... They, they threw up some slides with Crate V2 and Crate V3. Yeah, so that, that's what I want to talk about. Is that public? Can we talk about that? Yeah, yeah. Okay. It's totally public. Um, so what Crate do we have today? So Crate is, for those who don't know, um, this is the code name for the CPU architecture that is in Qualcomm Snapdragon S4 um, and S4 Pro. Uh, so S4 implements two right. Crate cores and S4 Pro does four. Is that that's correct? So there's... So S... By S4 Pro, so S4 Pro actually contains APQ8064 and MSM8960T or MSM8960 Pro, and 8960T and 89 or 80, previously called 8960 Pro is actually Crate V3, which is which is big news to me because I thought this was Crate V2. Okay, so which um, one? What do we have today in in all the currently shipping Snapdragon S4 uh, parts? What Crate V is that? So all the all the current crates are crate v two. Okay. So we never saw crate v one. That was like an internal thing that apparently just never made it to okay. market, or it was just you know a rev. And um, everything that we have now is crate v two. So then soon we'll get crate v three, and eighty nine sixty t, which was previously eighty nine sixty pro. Okay. And, what is the? Do you uh, know what the T stands for? Turbo. Yeah. This is the thing that they've had <laughs> in a lot of their. Um, I've seen there many times in their roadmap, um, just an 80, 80, you know, a part number and then T. Like there was an 82.7, no, 7225T. Okay. Or was it 7230T? There is like, they just add T when it's like, ooh, CPU is fast. You see on the Intel side, T means low power. Yes. <laughs> just to add some huh. confusion. So this this definitely means more like extreme performance, like turbo. <laughs> so, but but so crate v3 do you we we don't know architectural details but we do know right. high level details so we know that um we know that there's a straight ipc increase of about 15 percent uh, and there's also an increase in clocks um so from 1.5 to 1.7 gigahertz and i've i've been told to expect a 20 to 30 percent higher overall performance um out of that result and this is from again higher native frequency Higher DMIPS, which is another, just like I hate DMIPS, uh, higher memory <laughs> bandwidth, higher IPC. They're saying it's, it'll be more power efficient. There are micro, micro architecture changes they won't tell us about. 
there's more out of order capability, better prefetching, better branch prediction. There's a bunch of crates coming out. So there's a crate 400 at some point, but I don't know anything about that. So what is, is um, crate 400? Is that crate V3 based or is that a different crate? Crate 400, I, I literally don't know anything about. I was okay. just told there will be a pipeline of crates okay. coming out. And then anybody that thinks that crate V3 is where it stops is, is going to be wrong. Okay. So but, crate V3 sounds like a um, kind of Swift slash A15 competitor, more on the A15 side, I would assume. Totally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we wrote this actually a long time ago is that um, crate V3 is how they do battle with A15. Yeah. So, and um, that was it, like the. The previous blogger benchmarking thing, like I wrote most of this there, uh, but under at that point I was under the impression that it wouldn't be coming with eighty nine sixty T and it wouldn't be um, uh, twenty eight nanometer LP. I was under the impression it would be high K. Yeah. Um, so this the Crate V three and the parts that I know about are just still twenty eight nanometer LP. Okay. They're not they're not high K. Although those are still coming apparently, but that's further down the road. And then I was told um, to expect basically devices with 8960T to be shipping early next year. And okay. that it's been sampling for some time now. So, I mean, we just haven't heard or seen a lot of leaks about it. I think I saw one where somebody saw there was some spec list and it was 8960T at 1.7 gigahertz. I can't remember what phone this was, but I have a picture in my head of seeing this somewhere leaked. So... What what uh, GPU do we we I forgot what GPU comes with 8960T? That's uh, Adreno three twenty. So previously, okay. yeah, the the whole point, the whole differentiator that that uh, that we heard heard about with 8960T is that this is the later crate that gets the newer Adreno three twenty graphics, and you know because 8960 was a time to market thing. Yeah, right. It was crate crate V two, Adreno two twenty five, the latest baseband silicon that was possible, and you know they enjoyed a big time to market advantage with that for like this previous year has just all been 8960 and now, now windows phone 8 is just all 8960 or 8260a same thing um just dominated by all of that and now i guess they're hoping same with 8960t and they'll bring their a game with adreno 320 but i mean we already have adreno 320 and apq8064 the quad core crate v2 part but with no no modem yeah so that's the only real and they put up a new graph too and there is a lot of like gnashing of teeth over <laughs> um the fact that it's dmips but i mean it just i guess we're calling it not crate v something it's 200 and 300 okay that's so crate, what i saw crate 300 yeah. is crate v3 and crate 200 right. is crate v2 when i saw that i immediately was just laughing because <laughs> i mean and at the same time they were like a bit surprised that anybody would notice that but I, I was like this is obvious you know i mean it's 200 and 300 like there's no real secret here You're, and then i think they're just they were still thinking about whether they want to make this a big deal with 8960t yeah like a marketable big deal but at the same time when i'm looking at 15 percent higher ipc i'm like why why would you not yeah i mean that's that's a generational improvement right there right like, right that's, that's significant right right but i think they're they're like do we want to do we want to even talk about this? And I was, I was blown away. I was like this, but at the same time, Apple made a CPU and they just won't ever talk about it. Right. So yeah. 
Well, I mean, um, I think so. Qualcomm's in a different position because they want people to talk about and demand their CPUs. I think the the hesitation on their part is they are so close to the. They're still in this. The customer is the handset vendor or carrier mindset versus the customer is Brian Klug. And true. As a result, although they're they're saying that they're they're seeing a lot of traction from their marketing picking up with you know like in TV ads, you see you now stuff like oh. This phone has Snapdragon inside. Yeah. You know, like, I think the LG Optimus G is sold that way and so forth. But as a result of kind of that prioritizing, you know, of of who you view the customer as, this is a problem, like, across all industries. If you lose sight of who the actual customer is, you end up making decisions that are uh, contrary to the greater good. Um, And in this case, uh, you know, I don't see any vendor, any, you know, phone vendor who would want them to uh, kind of trump up this new silicon right because they have they still have to sell phones based on older oh, silicon that's true that's true um, but i mean we'll talk about it so i guess <laughs> i guess it's being marketed to some extent i mean yeah. whatever <laughs> although it's not like marketed to me and it's more like just us asking questions yes and this shakes out <laughs> um so it's yeah there's still a lot of hesitation there I, there is a lot of discussion again about like rmv8 what's the future when do we get a big crate um, no real answers there. What what do you do when smartphones get to four gigs, which is going to happen, you know? Yeah. And then you you know physical address extension. Um, you need sixty four bit. All this stuff is just like stay tuned. So they're not willing to talk about anything beyond what sort of n plus one. Well, and so even really... then, they're not willing to talk about things that have been leaked in the past already, like <laughs> the you know the high K thing. You know, like the the SOC that's going to come with the MDM um 9x25 baseband silicon integrated um so all of that stuff you can just write the roadmap it's pretty it's fairly obvious but again there there wasn't a lot of that which is what i was hoping for well so um, i think when arm v8 hits that's which is um the 64-bit the first 64-bit arm instruction set architecture uh that ends up being really interesting because amd is going to be one of the first folks to ship arm v8 based silicon hmm yeah right because they're they're like they're one of the launch partners for the cortex a uh 57 and 53 right right i think that's still that's still a ways out again but yeah that's 2014 ish i'm sure they have an answer for it they just don't want to talk about it for whatever reason they're just like we don't even like 8960t is a couple months away and we're now hearing about that you know i think and then we'll see. Will that be S five? Since or were we gonna like create another tier? There's gonna be S four Pro Pro, S <laughs> four really Pro, S four um, like maximum Pro, Uber Pro, Pro Tip. Ooh, I like that. OC Pro. So, so that was part of it. Is um, seeing all that. Um, Do we get any baseband upgrades with the eighty nine sixty T? No, it's again, it's the same. It's nine X fifteen. Okay. Which is which is still very good. Like they, there's still nobody else that's really at that level, even in the rest of the whole digital baseband marketplace. Yeah, um, which is another topic entirely. Uh, so I, I get the impression here that with 8960T and and Crate 300, um, the like the sheer dominance won't be as present as in the previous generation right because previous generation you had to choose between a whole bunch of cortex a9s at 40 nanometer or 
you know, brand new yeah. cores at 28. And that's what made with integrated LTE. Like it was a very, there was like a performance and a battery life cell there. Right. Um, but now with Tegra 4, which I'm assuming will also be at 28 nanometer um, and Cortex A15s, I, you know, we'll, I think it'll be a, a little bit closer of a race. Um, we'll see. We'll see how that does. Yeah. I am very interested in the rest of the Tegra Tegra 4, how that shakes out. Yeah. I think there there was a lot of discussion, not by me, but by other people, about what do you guys, do you guys feel like you need to do, do big little? And they feel like they already have with this heterogeneous architecture, you know, where they can, the ASMP thing, basically, their marketing, um, they can, they feel that they can sort of execute against that already. And there was a lot of discussion about like, oh, do you lose a lot of power doing these context switches? You know, how, how much of that is just a mitigation for the fact that you're building all this stuff on G and et cetera, et cetera. I don't know. I'll be, I'm interested to see how it shakes out again. Yeah, especially because just long term. Thus far, you know, all of the A15s we've seen have been deployed in uh, like big chassis devices, right? Like, right. so the Chromebook or a tablet. Um, so I'm, I'm, and you know, Tegra Four is rumored to have four A15s and a Cortex A9 as the, you know, the the little core, um, and that's where Tegra has won a Tegra Three already. Like you don't, I don't see it in a lot of phones today. I see it in a lot of tablets. Yes, and may, you know, maybe they're satis- I mean, it's selling a lot. Are they satisfied with that? Do they need? I mean, there's obviously different niches here. Yeah, and the the embedded connectivity cell is a lot more important in a smartphone and that's where Qualcomm's execution is ob- just obviously nobody can touch you know the seven modes that they have um if you're you know talking about delivering a phone it's much easier uh to go with that solution versus in a tablet we have more space and you can do like an external you know external baseband of your choice and then pick whatever AP you want and those you know like so those barriers when you're designing your platform are a lot a lot easier to deal with in a yeah bigger bigger design um i don't know what what else did we talk about i think i talked a little bit briefly about the um throttling on nexus 4 i i don't like i'm i'm kind of done with that but uh (laughs) just because like there's been so much email and gnashing of teeth over over that and um it's an overly aggressive governor and they're doing their own testing and um yeah a lot of people were like hey i'm i'm glad you did that because now i have i have the like attention and the resources to go after uh whoever whatever that problem is and figure it out but can, and, can i also just add that that like that blew me away when you said that because it's not like we're talking about you know cyrix right like this is this is like qualcomm right. this is they should not have an issue with um hey we need to chase this bug down and and get you know public support for it so we can do it internally like that should just happen right no and i totally agree i totally agree and i feel like um there's some of this is the fact that it's 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 a google phone you know it's all it's all aosp i don't know how i obviously the teams work closely i don't know how much that design uh in terms of the architecture of the thermal you know their thermal daemon and what 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 all is watching after what varies between you know the 4.2 phone versus optimus g versus other phones or apq 8064 and 
I don't know whether that's the differentiating factor. I suspect that it is, but we'll see. I totally agree, though. I mean, I, I don't know if there were people that were in denial about this. There's a lot of like, oh, it's not me that's throttling. It's not my part. Yeah. You know? Um, a lot of finger, finger pointing and the usual stuff that happens. Yeah, there was, a, there was a lot of like, oh, well, I can guarantee you it's not my area. Or, you know, like another people were saying the same thing. Yeah. Um, but we'll see. I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I don't believe it's a huge deal um, personally. Uh, but I see it, you know, some people were saying, oh, I don't see it on my phone, but I mean, their broom is different. You know, I don't, there's a lot of, and again, if you want to see this, you need to, you need to run the full test. And by full test, I do not mean just the game test. Like yeah. this should be fairly easy to understand. <laughs> you need to tap all like I do, and then you will see it. Now. So Brian, this is a question I never asked. Um, do you see it playing a game? There's a lot of people who ask that too. I don't. I don't see it in game workloads because they're just not as taxing. Yeah, they're just like the the current state. I, I'm running into this problem now where I'm I'm trying to find good iOS game titles that really push the envelope and have you know finally moved to like full res on the iPad four. And honestly, like other than Epic, no one is really pushing the envelope there, which is kind of disappointing. Yeah, yeah. You know, there are a few, oh. like the, the Shadowgun people, like they, they moved to, to full res early. Um, but it's, I don't know, I'm like, this is supposed to be, you know, clearly Apple and these guys are paying a lot of money for GPU transistors. Like someone please are we use using them. them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, I wanted to know more details about the next gen Adreno architecture. I think that's still coming. I think there's going to be more emphasis on 2D performance as well and more power power efficiency you know like one of the things google really talked about is that they're limited by the number of overlays um and in various views and there's a lot of you know like you saw the overdraw thing that got added into android 4.2 um romaine guy has been on twitter talking about like he wrote a big blog post about like i'm gonna take apart this android app and just show you know, like they're doing things that they don't need to by drawing layers that aren't visible. Um, and I feel like that's the real, the UI performance will be an emphasis coming up, just getting everything that can be 2D into 2D so you don't need to wake up all these big, you know, cores and then do a composition. Yeah. And even on the imagination side, right, they have they have a 2D block. There's There's talk, you know, there's talk about the big thing being collapsing individual cores Right, all of that stuff. I think that's really important. And I think that's sort of shaking out now because of the way that the UIs are drawn. And so much time is spent just looking at that and not necessarily playing a game. Yes. Um, so you can... And is Shadowgun, is that, um, is that a Unity engine? Is that, I think that's Unity, isn't it? It's not Unreal Engine, so I would assume so, unless they've done their own thing. So there's a lot. So another thing, they took me into their like uh, into their gaming center lab. They have like a their own game dev in house, and they actually published one of their own games called Reign of Amira, that's on the, the Droid DNA, and that particular game is also um, Unity based, and it doesn't render at 1080p. It renders at 720p, but it looks pretty good. And obviously. Um, Unity is starting to get a lot of traction yes. in the mobile space, and we're, and we're going to see a benchmark based on that pretty soon. I believe oh, it's okay awesome. to say that. And 
So, I mean, there's, there's interesting developments going on. Some of the stuff is starting to finally shake out that has just been impossible to deal with previously. You know, now that, now that these engines are getting optimized for a specific platform, it becomes less of a, you know, less of a huge gnashing of teeth. I don't yeah. know why that's my favorite phrase this podcast. <laughs> um, yeah, no, no, I just confirmed Shadowgun is Unity-based. Cool, cool. I mean, yeah, and it seems like there are so many more Unity games now. And I've heard that their tools are starting to get almost to rivaling Epics. Somebody oh, nice. told me that anecdotally. I don't know what that means, but well, I mean, Epics, that's, that's um, nice. Epics uh, UDK is awesome, right? Like it's when when I um, I sat down and like built that Citadel benchmark, mm-hmm. like that was not hard at all. <laughs> and you know, the, the only the downside to Epics UDK is it's only free for iOS. Um, you have to be like a, a UE three or UE four licensee to get it for Android, um, but it, I mean, their stuff is really, really uh, very developer-friendly, um, very easy to get into. Like, I'm not a game developer, but but I was able to play around with it pretty easily. That's good. Yeah, so, I mean, there's talk of now, you know, Unity being close. I don't, yeah, I haven't seen it myself. That would be interesting to look at. And, you know, like, the Epic licensing terms are awesome, right? Like, you can, you can publish a game for free um, below a certain number of sales, uh, and then you just do like a, a revenue share with Epic. Like you don't have to pay half a million dollars to license the Unreal Engine. Oh, on the iOS side? Yeah. That's cool. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, you can tomorrow, you can decide to make a, a game and, and use the Unreal Engine for free. Um, and once you start making money off of it, you just uh, share it with Epic. That's actually, that is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. No, it's, they've done an amazing job there. And like the, their whole big thing was, uh, everyone who already has an Unreal Engine license gets a free license to deploy on mobile as well. Um, so this this is not just for the indie guys, but for um, you know the people who are uh, uh, existing Unreal Engine customers. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. No, um, done, so they. Oh, sorry. No, they just they've done a good job there. So there was also a lot of talk about um, you know they have a small cell reference design that they are sort of pushing. Um, as a way to get to 1,000x capacity, which is where they see growth going for cellular. And I got, I got to take a look at that, and it had some cool markings on it. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to post that um, because it was, it's stuff that I've never seen before. Um, again, we talked about all the, the LTE things, which is sort of what I like talking about a lot now, uh, just because that's such a huge driver at least in my in my mind for all these devices and um you know going forward there's more support for more bands you know we'll talk about this there are seven um primary rx ports now um i believe it's seven right am i misspeaking um that is 100 percent your territory yeah it's seven <laughs> i don't know why i don't know why i thought it wasn't seven for a second there but uh you know the move, I don't know, I learned a lot of interesting things. Like, you know, they moved to a wafer package, for example, for transceiver. And I've seen, I've seen this before, uh, you know, just inspecting devices, and I was wondering why that was. And so what, we got to talk did, about why that is. What was it before? It was a plastic package. Oh, okay. And it was like a multi-chip package, and now it's, um, or some of them were. Now it's uh, wafer scale. You know, so hence the W and WTR. Yeah, yeah, okay. And R, R previously was RTR. So, and 
I don't know, I just had an aha moment. I don't know what the R stands for in the previous R, but I was always wondering, why is it W? But they're, So they were like, oh, that's just wafer. Oh, interesting. Um, okay. And then the other thing, you know, like I asked some questions, like why did we move transceiver outside of the baseband? And I guess part of that was that like when they were putting things together, there's a multiplicative effect on yield. And just doing it this way lets them get better yield. And also it, it ends up being cheaper. They did the math out and it's cheaper. So they just did... They just did that way, and it's not going to go back inside. Hmm, okay. Um, yeah, stuff like that. I really just like learning because uh, it's very relevant. Because you know, what are you going to do with all these bands? And LTE has all these extra bands, and everybody's just throwing LTE like wherever they have the spectrum for it. And so the number of bands is like forty, and it's going to go up even more. Yeah. And it's, I mean, there's no real solution. The roaming thing is still a problem. Okay, when you have like seven that you can talk on and you need to inherit all of these other all of these other air interfaces for 3G and 2G um you know that's difficult but you know at least we have we have more you know and then i was asking because if you will publish the slide but my big question was uh the diversity port goes away so the diversity port gets moved to a primary rx so in RTR eighty six hundred, there are uh, five diversity ports to co to coincide with the five primary RX. So you have a one to one. In sixteen oh five, there are actually four diversity ports and seven primary RX. And my question, like that, was sort of holding me back from doing my big thing was why is why are there fewer? Because people are going to jump in and say like why are there fewer? And so I've now been fairly convinced that. The reason you can get away with this because um, the combination algorithms work at plus or minus six dB from the main receive stack. So the main, so each of these, um, each of these uh, diversity ports now have more bandwidth, and they're able to handle more dynamic range. So more dB away from the main stack, and you can still do all the diversity combining things and get good gains. And so if you put a switch outside is what I'm saying, it doesn't really matter. And that diversity port is also the, the MIMO port. So there's a lot of interesting stuff to be said there. And that's that they've never, ever talked about before. Like this is the single largest disclosure ever in the history of Qualcomm. And um, so we'll get to talk about all that. And also 1605 is 65 nanometer. It's not 28. That was oh, like okay. a somebody It's 65 nanometer RFC MOS. Um, I thought it was 28 because in one FCC disclosure they said it was, but they were just talking about baseband apparently and got a little confused or like the way it was written there was ambiguous. So it's still 65, but the package is smaller. So there's all that stuff to talk about um, that, that is really interesting. I don't know. I, got, I also got to see a multi-user MIMO um, 802.11ac demo, which was kind of cool. Oh, awesome. Um, what did... I, I mean, was the... <laughs> Can you describe the demo? Was there so yeah? So basically, you know, like in in uh, AC, there's a new mode that's multi-user MIMO, and basically instead of using uh, instead of time dividing all these slots and then talking um, to just one client at a time with all three streams or four streams or however many streams you have, um, you can also you know do this other thing where you talk to ev you talk to a number of clients at the same time and use the orthogonality of the streams to do that so basically uh, you can 
if you have like for example four transmit chains uh you can talk to four clients or in yeah. this case their demo was they had four transmit chains and they were talking to three clients just to have one you know free degree of freedom and each of the you know like any if you were doing this in the other mode you would say maybe only get like 50 megabits of bandwidth doing this in the mode where each one gets their own stream you can get up to like the 144 or whatever megabits of bandwidth oh interesting and i didn't i didn't realize that um time slicing it was was that inefficient yeah it's pretty inefficient and i mean this way you can you can just um you can talk to everybody at once and and that's pretty cool and that's that's been coming for a while and so in that that's also coming to lte too in, in that situation what happens if you have uh let's say eight clients that you're talking to i believe you only yeah you can only talk to the to the number of transmit chains that you have well, so these would, you, are all, would you talk to four concurrently and then time slice those four? I believe so. A lot of these things are left up to the Mac, and okay. I, I don't know the, the specific answer. There's, and I'm still asking these questions is when do, you, when do you change over from doing you know, MIMO and that each client gets th- the full three or four streams? And when do you switch over? When do you make the decision to switch over? Yeah. And those are all, those are all the secret sauce. So, like, the, the standard <laughs> defines what you need to do and not sort of how you need to do it yeah. or like when you want to make these decisions. So I believe that's still in the air. I would, I would, I mean, obviously you can't get more talking into, you can't get more uh, streams than what your hardware supports. So if you had over four clients, you know, talking at the same time or wanting to talk, I would assume that they would fall down to some mode where, they're both doing time slicing and this, or they're doing one or the other, and then yeah. time slice it up. Um, but it's kind of cool to see it working because they like you need to sound the channel with this like broadcast, and then each device reports back. Then they pre-compute a matrix, and then that that gets sent out. So I mean, it's cool to see see it working. I've never seen it working before. That is really cool. Um, um, and then in in that case, is it is it dynamic? Like, so does each antenna? only service that client or as client position changes will will it switch antennas yeah as client position changes it, it changes oh so awesome. like, yeah it's it's constantly recomputing um and it's on the order of microseconds i guess yeah and um so you can you can move the you can obviously move clients around and it works just fine and you, you can think about it as um you can think about it as that it's one to one mapping between antenna and antenna, but it's not it's not really. They just like they pre-compute a matrix and then transmit this all this all out. It's like a big it's sort of like a really crappy phased array. But um that's my understanding at least about how that works. And it was cool to see that working. I don't know what else there is to talk about. Um No, I think that that hit most of the major points. The one I was really interested in was the the next gen crate stuff. Um you said that's that's coming early next year. That's right. Yeah, I would expect. Yeah, there are phones in design now, apparently, with that part. So, That's awesome. Yeah, I suspect that we'll see some of that at CES yeah. strongly, and MWC. And then, right, and then release release uh, around MWC or after MWC or however they want to do their their scheduling. Yeah, that makes sense. And yeah, one point seven gigahertz higher IPC Adreno three twenty, still twenty eight nanometer, but that'll be cool. That's awesome. Um, okay, well, that, that kind of covers the two major things I wanted to go over, the Broadwell BJ discussion and the Qualcomm visit as well. Um, so we kind of take care of the entire spectrum of compute there. 
Um, is there anything else anyone wanted to go over before we close up? Ian? Um, as an overclocker, I hope Broadwell overclocks well. Yes. Oh, well, we're hearing good <laughs> things about um, Haswell overclocking. Um, I know that's expected to do really, really well. Um, I, I, I've heard things too, though I've not seen much in the way of evidence. Yeah, yeah. No, we're, we're not quite there yet. So you're um, calling Pixar it didn't happen. <laughs> basically, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Um, okay, awesome. I wanted to thank you all for tuning in, for listening. Um, thank you all for reading the site as well. And uh, we will be back again in a week.